It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Sunday, August 13th, 2023. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. Will concerns about President Biden among Democrats mean he's still their nominee in 2024? Or could it be someone else? I do think that it is feasible considering his age and that the conversations that some of his most ardent supporters have had around, you know, how dare you talk about it? I, I think that that's completely wrongheaded. I'm Jared Halpern. Hundreds of service members are waiting for promotions, but a Senate standstill shows no signs of ending. And when I talk about a lot of time, I'm talking about weeks straight through if they stayed in session 24 hours a day. This is the Fox News Rundown from Washington. The polls have President Biden's approval rating at about 41.2 percent. The New York Times points out that's lower than any other modern president at this stage in a term except for Jimmy Carter. There's also a new Times Siena College poll that shows roughly half don't want President Biden to run again. There are headwinds related to his age, his handling of the economy, and his son Hunter Biden's legal troubles. Friday, Attorney General Merrick Garland announced that U.S. Attorney David Weiss, who signed off on Hunter's initial plea deal over tax evasion and a gun charge, would shift to be a special counsel after that plea deal fell apart. I have concluded that it is in the public interest to appoint him as special counsel. This appointment confirms my commitment to provide Mr. Weiss all the resources he requests. It also reaffirms that Mr. Weiss has the authority he needs to conduct a thorough investigation. So in 15 months, will President Biden be the one running, especially as the same New York Times poll shows Biden and former President Trump each with 43 percent in a hypothetical matchup? Fox's Sean Hannity asked California Governor Gavin Newsom in June if he thinks Biden is cognitively able to remain president. Newsom said yes. I never answered my question directly. How many times is your phone ping a day people saying you need to get in this race because they agree with me that he's not up to the job? Uh, I see where you're going with that. I'm asking. No, I, and I'm not answering. Under any circumstances, would you get in this no. primary? No, none. The ones bold enough to announce a run against Biden have included Robert F. Kennedy Jr. and spiritual author Marianne Williamson. Williamson hasn't managed to creep up in the polls, though she told Fox News this week. Americans don't want to go backwards. Americans have no taste for another Trump uh, Biden rematch. And uh, as you were saying earlier, there's not a lot of enthusiasm on the enthusiasm meter there. As we speculate how all of this will play out, the president turns 81 this November. I do not foresee a substantial primary challenge. You see RFK Jr. kind of drifting away. Marianne Williamson was on America's Newsroom. She's at like one person. I think that's obviously not really a thing. Jessica Tarlov is co-host of The Five and a Democratic Strategist. Um, but I think that what Congressman Dean Phillips from uh, the Minneapolis area is doing is he's trying to encourage other people who would have more of a chance to get involved, um, like the Governor Newsom, mm. uh, Governor Gretchen Whitmer. So he is like the sacrificial lamb and the one who actually has the history or the track record to back up the idea that he really respects Joe Biden. He thinks he did a good job, but that he's frankly just too old to do this uh, for another term. And he said the same thing about Nancy Pelosi. 
So um, I think that's what's going on um, on my side of the aisle. Uh, We've heard throughout the administration, you know, President Biden and Vice President Harris use terms like the Biden-Harris administration, right? They've they've frequently Mm -hmm. been a team, right? And I heard Vice President Harris talking this week in Philadelphia about Bidenomics, and she was taking credit for Bidenomics too, you know, saying the president and I have done this and that for the economy. Is... Should we read anything into that? Is she preparing for something or is this is this the typical like we're we're a team and we present as a team? I think it's just typical and that frankly it has fallen by the wayside more than it usually does and I'm not going to call like the race or gender card on that. Um I think that Vice President Harris has been not so prominent and they've been working on making that more of a thing and so we're going to hear Biden Harris more often. Like I don't know about you but during the Obama administration, I talked about the Obama-Biden administration constantly. Joe Biden was such a crucial point of that, especially once we got to the same-sex marriage um, mm. conversation around 2014, 2015, that well, obviously he's not as important as Obama was, but it was very clear that that was a two-man game. And so I think that this is just normal. I think the White House is well aware of where Kamala Harris's approvals are um, yeah. and that people are generally not warming to her. And so, yes, they want to put her, you know, more out front. And now with the Dobbs decision likely to be hugely impactful in the election, the Ohio results earlier this week, obviously were a harbinger of more things to come on that front. I think we'll be hearing more and more about, you know, the Biden-Harris administration, but I don't think it's anything like, hey guys, get ready. Like Kamala is going to be your president. It's just, this is what the administration is and we should be upfront about that. You kind of referenced it in the earlier question, but but if President Biden, just given his age, we've seen the poll numbers, people are concerned about his age. He's had some slower-ish moments, right? Um, You know, on television and in meeting world leaders. If, If something were to happen in terms of him deciding not to run, is that is that it? And and that could happen at any time, right? And, and I mm-hmm. I'm asking this speculative sort of futurish question, but it could be like you know what? I woke up after my 81st birthday and I'm not feeling. Yeah. I, I feel like this is you know it, it could be a day to day thing. Is is that? I, I know I'm saying something that's very realistic to most people to hear, but when we talk about the president of the United States being in that situation, right. it feels different. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he's the leader of the free world. <laughs> so it's not just like, oh, hey, I know an 80 year old who maybe doesn't want to go to the insurance company tomorrow. <laughs> um, it's obviously um, a major thing. And yes, I do think that it's feasible. I don't think that anything um, is going on in terms of trying to trick people like right. that. This is the plan all along. Right. And that Joe Biden is going to be a better candidate than Kamala would be necessarily. So we're going to make sure that Joe is running and then we're going to bring her in in the darkness of night, right? And you're going to wake up one day and he's going to say, I, you know, it's not me anymore. Have a great time with her for the next four years. But of course, that that's feasible. And that's something that's really top of mind for Democrats. Um, you know, I, I think it's obviously great clickbait when these articles appear in the New York Times, you know, kind of like liberal heaven over there that have all these anonymous sources of business leaders, other politicians who are really worried about the prospect of it being Kamala, that she cannot win a general election against Donald Trump or whoever else it might be. I I think it's, you know, 99 percent chance that it's Trump at this point, barring something 
extreme happening with his health because he vowed to you know fight on whether he's sitting in a prison cell or not um so that's obviously something that's concerning for the democratic side and i do think that it is feasible considering his age and that the conversations that some of his most ardent supporters have had around you know how dare you talk about it i i think that that's completely wrong-headed and the hillary clinton i think she was at an ft summit when she was discussing it and she said of course age is a factor i mean the idea that we're not going to acknowledge this right. which is so crucial um is absurd and you i think that is part of what was pissing off voters not necessarily the rfk jr group um which i think are mostly kind of like right and left-leaning independents who want disruption um or think that camelot is ever coming back and it's not but there's this concern about the oldest president in american history and that he's obviously not as spry as he was when he was campaigning in 2019 i i don't know if you were there but i was in both iowa and new hampshire before the world shut down and joe biden had as much energy at his rallies as pete Buttigieg did that's clearly not the same situation as it's going to be next year um and acknowledging that i think only helps the democrats and that at least their voters don't feel like the reality is being denied of what we're facing just i remember we joked i think well you you joked about uh, governor newsom um <laughs> a few podcasts yeah. ago um you know that 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 2024 might very well be on his mind we saw that in mm-hmm. with sean hannity he did um if governor newsom were to run i imagine it would have to be with with the democratic party's blessing with the dnc's blessing yeah. with joe biden's blessing like but it seems like he just keeps getting talked about is that just what do you make of the discussion surrounding gavin newsom and and the possibility that that he runs in 2024 well i, I think right now if you ask governor newsom um even after a couple of drinks he would say he's not running in 2024 i don't think that that is the plan um but i think that he is being smart about setting himself up um with a national profile beyond what he already has um, there are a lot of negative headlines coming out certainly of the COVID period around california um it has i think the largest loss of population and tax revenue, followed by my home, New York State, people going to Texas, Florida, et cetera. Um, So, and he had a huge budget surplus. Now they're underwater. You know, there's a lot that you can be critical of, of what's going on in California. And so I think that he wanted to make a positive name for himself um, and put himself on the national stage without encroaching on the president too much i don't think he's trying to make him nervous like i'm here waiting in the wings um but he if joe biden pulls out of this race it will be an open primary and i think there's no chance that governor newsom isn't throwing his hat in the ring along with a lot of other really great and talented democrats um the november debate between newsom and desantis which sean hannity is going to be moderating will also be really interesting to see they've done this before where they've kind of traded like newsom went to florida to complain about desantis and desantis went to california to complain about newsom um that they're going to do it face to face i think is important in just foreshadowing what the future of american politics looks like and i remember when they were doing it we were talking about it on the five and what it means and i said even though people you know can acknowledge the accomplishments of joe biden and we know how 
ardent Donald Trump supporters are, you can't help but think that this is the matchup that Americans want to see, right? They want to see, you know, young, vibrant governors that have records to run on out there with their, you know, their smiling wives and their perfect children and, you know, like the whole thing, right? It looked uh, and, and both like with racist. Oh, yeah. And also both very wonky, which is something yes. that I think that people really forget about Governor Newsom. He's a dork. <laughs> like that guy wants to talk about the numbers. And I thought that's what was such a strength in his Hannity interview. I thought they both actually came out looking really good. And that's why it's such an advantage for Democrats to come up and be on conservative media. Obviously, I do it for a living. So I think there's some value <laughs> to it. Um, but he wants to get into the nitty gritty. Right. And at a time when politics is always is being discussed in just hyperbole constantly, right? Like no one is giving yeah. you exact information. Oh, the border's wide open, right? Or uh, Joe Biden being impeached for X or Republicans are throwing your grandmother off a cliff, like whatever it is, it's very rarely like the brass tacks of it. And that's what a governor has to do. And I think that's really valuable. Two more for you briefly. No labels, a third party oh. group. Um, yeah, I, yeah I, I know, I know, but I have to ask it. Right? And the reason, <laughs> yeah, here's, yeah. The, here's the reason I have to ask it. And you know it because you know the numbers. There's just a growing number of people who are declined to state, independent. They don't want to affiliate with either party. So even if it's not this mm -hmm. year, is something growing with this idea of a third party, a unity ticket, something other than DNR? Well, we've had it before, right? And they've been responsible for a particular candidate on the D or the R side losing the race. So, I mean, it's not as if this hasn't happened in the past. What hasn't been, though, is that it's been as organized um, and it's been as, like, full of dark money. I don't know what the right term is for it. Like, or at a in time the shadows. When were, or at a time when there were this many independent voters. Oh, that's true. So about 40 percent of the American populace identifies as an independent, but actually very few are swing voters. So usually the line in the sand for people is whether the, the election that they're voting on, if there's a candidate who's pro-choice or not, like the abortion issue. And it's obviously going to be increased in the Dobbs era um, is incredibly important to people. So folks do like to self-identify that way. But usually if you sit them down, you can figure out where they're going to go. I think it was a lot easier, like in our parents' time, for somebody to actually be unaffiliated in their minds. Like the number of people who could see themselves voting for a Democrat and then they yeah. like a Republican. Yeah. Um, nowadays, I don't really meet anyone that does it. You know, there was that weird Bernie Sanders Trump coalition, which I still need more <laughs> analysis on how that happened. But I don't think that no labels has a place right now. And frankly, I think it's a hustle. I think it's a grift. Mm -hmm. um, when they released their map of their path to the White House, it ran straight through Joe Biden's Electoral College. It took Wisconsin. It took Arizona. It took Georgia. Now, I think that 2024 will look a bit different from 2020, um, just inevitably. And the investment that Democrats are making in North Carolina, I, I hope, will reap benefits. Um, but no labels doesn't care who they end up electing. And I think that they're very dangerous because of that.
Finally, I know we're talking about Democrats, but are Democrats worried at all that things shift and independents by the time next year, those independents who are real, like independents who are swayable, yeah. per- persuadable, that that they're ready to reconsider Trump. I, I know they hadn't been. I know that that independent right. voter had shifted away from Trump, especially after January 6th. But, um, you know, with time, is there any talk among Democrats that there is a concern that people could go for Trump if he's the nominee? There's always a concern. I think there are no smart Democrats who don't know that it's possible that Donald Trump could win this thing again. Um, Harry Enten over at CNN, who's uh, one of their pollsters, was talking about it the other day after the New York Times Siena poll came out that has them tied right at 43-43. That sets you up for a showdown that looks exactly like 2016 or 2020 in terms of the margins. Um, But I do think, and I rarely quote Frank Luntz, um, who has different politics than I do. But he was discussing in an interview that it would be very hard to find a voter who was against Donald Trump in 2020 and has now seen three. And by next week, it sounds like four indictments and is now like, oh, no, 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 that's my guy. You're right. Like, like I changed my mind about this. Um, I think that there are people who you know, by this two-tiered system of justice stuff, but he hasn't made himself more of a statesman in any way. And that's what really turned people off. They might've even liked his policies, but they didn't want it to be bananas all the time. And I don't think that that's changed. Um, So it's the independents, but it's also the moderate Republican suburban women. Um, We haven't seen any indication in the midterms or the special elections where Democrats have overperformed by massive margins, that that's happening. And there are smoke signals coming up from districts that are held by GOP congressmen and congresswomen, but Biden won the state overall. So there are five of these Republicans in California and a few of them in New York, for instance, the ones who actually ended up giving them the House majority. And they're screaming to leadership saying we have to talk about real issues. I can't go home and sell impeachment um, as a topic or I can't talk about Donald Trump and how the Presidential Records Act means he can like wave a wand over everything and he can show it to whoever, you know, whatever the excuse du jour is. Um, So I'm not really concerned about that. I'm just concerned um, that we run the best campaign possible and don't take any single vote for, for granted. Jessica Tarlov, co-host of The Five and Democratic Strategist. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you for having me. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. Hundreds of soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines are stuck in a state of uncertainty about deployments, commands, and when promotions will be approved. By now, you've likely heard of the hold Republican Senator Tommy Tuberville has put on every senior officer promotion requiring Senate approval. Basically, all service members in line for one, two, three, or four stars. It also includes a growing list of the most senior officers. Right now, the Marine Corps is without a commandant. The Army doesn't have a Senate-confirmed chief of staff. And at the end of next month, the current top military officer in the country, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, 
retires. His successor, already nominated by President Biden, will need confirmation. At issue, a Pentagon policy put in place last year after the Supreme Court upended Roe v. Wade and allowed states to put new restrictions on abortion. The military will pay for time off and travel if a service member wants to get an abortion in a state where the procedure isn't allowed. White House National Security Council spokesman John Kirby, himself a retired Navy admiral, explains the rationale. Tuberville, who is a senator from Alabama, argues the Pentagon policy is an end around the Hyde Amendment, long-standing federal law prohibiting federal funds for abortion. And so far, attempts to get Tuberville to hold off his position on military advancement votes are not swaying him. You know, all of these people could get their promotions, and this is something that uh, Senator Tuberville's staff says repeatedly. It would just take one heck of a lot of time. Chad Pergram is the senior congressional correspondent for Fox News. And when I talk about a lot of time, I'm talking about weeks straight through if they stayed in session 24 hours a day Hmm. and did nothing else, almost a month, frankly. Or it would take, you know, a couple of months, frankly, if they did this just eight hours a day. Now, here's what happens. You have to get what they call cloture in the Senate if you do these one by one by one. So these are nominations, so they are subject to a filibuster. And senators today don't really filibuster the way we think of in the, the old uh, movie, mm-hmm. you know, back in the 1930s, what, you know, where they hold the floor. You can do that. What it's they not do, like Mr. Smith goes to Washington? It's, it's not, although <laughs> sometimes it's, you, you can do it that way. But what you do is you just have let everybody know that you don't intend to play ball on this. Mm-hmm. And this is the right of every senator. This is a Senate pr- prerogative. And so to clear that filibuster bar, you have to get 60 votes. Uh, or in this case, if it's legislation, in this case, just 51 votes to do this because it's a nomination. All right. So 51 votes just for a nomination. Well, the problem is, is that there's time that per the Senate rules allows you to burn after that. So you have. OK, let's just say, let's just say they were going to do the commandant of the Marine Corps. That's the mm-hmm. big one so far. And now there's they're waiting yeah. for somebody to be the secretary of the, of the army, too. too right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. OK. So or not commandant- secretary of the army, but, but the top army officer. Yeah. Uh, yes. So. Okay, let's say today what Chuck Schumer, the majority leader, did. Let's say he files cloture today to overcome the filibuster. Okay. So hypothetically, this is a Wednesday. So that means you couldn't even consider that procedural thing until Friday. It needs an intervening day, which would be Thursday to ripen. And then if Senator Tuberville or others wanted to protest this, uh, what they could do is they could burn about 30 hours thereafter. So you don't actually get to voting on the nomination until, say, Sunday. It takes about three to four days per nomination. You see what I'm getting at. Well, I mean, and so and, and you can to, do it to, if you have the votes and they have the votes to do it. They just they aren't willing to burn all this time on each one of these military promotions, which is always done in a routine basis with not even a bat of an eye. in so, the I Senate, mean, you, Jared. you mentioned the three, four days it takes. There are more than 260 nominations right now that are uh-huh. on hold. Yep, um, And that's and that's where it, it just takes. And you it would mentioned. Take forever. 
The other thing that you mentioned, and it's worth repeating because I get asked all the time, I didn't even know that that it took the Senate to promote military officers because mm-hmm. it generally makes no news, right? right? I mean, this is something that they do by what we call unanimous consent, like – they just kind of like do it and they nobody objects yeah. great Boom. and here's and what's like, happened so most you do like do hundreds at a time yeah and here's what's happened is that most of these folks have been confirmed already they've been pre-vetted mm-hmm. they've gotten this far in their career and once in a while there is somebody who has a problem with somebody or it's revealed that somebody has something in their past or they did something that's yeah. inappropriate and so they pluck that one out And they might do a vote on that just to get that down or that nomination or that promotion blows up. And that 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 is the exception compared to the rule. So what the rule is, is what they usually do is they put all of these nominations together. They have something called a hotline in the Senate where Mm -hmm. literally they go around and all 100 senators. This is demonstrating the power of one senator. They see if they have clearance. So long as nobody objects, they come down usually at the end of the day. And it's, you know, several dozen of these, mm-hmm. you know, military promotions. They approve it by unanimous consent. Nobody objects. And it's done. And that is one of the accepted ways to vote in the Senate. You can vote three ways in the Senate. You can have a roll call vote. You can do a voice vote where it's the opinion of the chair vocally, which side wins, the yeas or the nays, mm-hmm. or unanimous consent. And you never do it. You know, now, here's the other thing. People might say, well, Chad, they're out in the August recess. Senator Tuberville isn't there. Why don't they just ram them through right now? You know, there's nobody there to object. Well, that's dirty pool. Uh, you don't do that in the Senate, even if if most senators, including many Republicans, think that Tommy Tuberville is being unreasonable in these circumstances, because well, this will come back and bite you because they'll do that trick to you at some point when there's something important to you or a nomination that's important to, to you or your state. I want to talk a little bit about that, but let's go back a little bit about what it is that that Senator Tuberville is upset about. This all stems from his objection, his opposition to a Pentagon policy uh, post post the Supreme Court striking down Roe that says that the military will pay the travel expenses for service members uh, to to get abortion care if they can't get that in, in the state. And the uh, the Pentagon's argument has been, listen, members of the military don't get to decide where they live. We want to make sure everybody is treated the same. And, and this is something that has been done uh, for other uh, types of, of medical issues if you live in an area where you can't get something done. Fine. Right. Uh, the There are a couple of things here. One, the House in their NDAA, their big defense policy bill, passed um, – legislation that strikes that right that strikes that Mm -hmm. policy um the senate did not um would just him getting a vote on a on an amendment like that be enough to to sort of you know unclog this well he has said you know to make this kind of the law of the land he said let's pat let's just not let the pentagon make a unilateral decision without that taking place. The problem is that you're basically, again, now we're back to legislation and filibusters. Uh, To get that, you're going to need 60 votes because that's legislation. There are certain senators, just not Senator Tuberville, who would filibuster the defense policy bill over that issue alone, conceivably. So, you know, unless it's connected to the overall defense policy bill, it's probably not going to see the light of day. And that's the problem about moving sometimes. Sometimes you do see senators say, listen, I just want to vote. Right. Mm-hmm. Rand Paul does this a lot. Right. I just want to vote on on the, like I, I want the Senate on record mm-hmm. uh, here. Why not? Why not di- do that? 
Here's the difference. So Senator Chris Murphy is a Democrat from Connecticut, and he said that they were starting to talk about maybe trying to figure out a way out of this cul-de-sac. Uh, you know, is there a way parliamentarily they can do this maybe a nuclear option. He didn't say that. You know, that, that's what changed the precedence for the Senate dealing with some of the other uh, types of filibusters, lowering the bar for nominations like these and also the Supreme Court from 60 to 51. We've had two nuclear options, but for legislation, it remains at 60 votes. So could they do that? Maybe. OK, that's something they're starting to have conversations about. Maybe do a slate of these. Maybe. So I, I talked to a couple of sources up here and I said, well, you know, how real is that? And they said, it's not really real at all. It might not be real yet. And I said, well, why? They said, because there's nothing that Senator Tuberville wants. You know, we Other talked about that vote. To be changed. Yeah. There's nothing for him to, to horse trade about. Yeah. Now, here, here's where this gets interesting. You might have noted that the Space Command, yes. which when it originated back in the 80s, was in Colorado. In the final days, the final moments of the Trump administration, they announced they were going to have the Space Command move to Alabama. Who's from Alabama? Tommy Tuberville. Okay. So they've gone back now, and this has come out in just the past couple of days, that they're going to move it to Colorado. Back to, Mike yeah, they're going to keep it in, in Colorado. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But Mike Rogers, who's the chair of the Armed Services yeah. Committee in Alabama, says, oh, also you know, from Alabama, yeah. politics. <laughs> you can imagine Tommy Tuberville. So I, I talked to Senator Tuberville in an interview, and I asked him this, and I said, do you think that that has anything to do with this? You know, I mean, this is politics. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I'm shocked there's gambling going. And he said, <laughs> absolutely not. You talk to Ken Buck, a Republican from where? Colorado, who is glad that the Space Command is going to be in the centennial yes. state. And he says, well, of course it had to be some of that consideration. <laughs> you know, and so is that probably the case? Probably. Can you get anybody to say that? Probably not. Well, and that's the politics of it, right? Because one of the, the things here that you know, Democrats seem to be kind of hedging on is, do they want to solve this problem, right, to get military officers confirmed and promoted? Or do they want to continue having this sort of wedge issue against a Republican senator from Alabama, right? The, the Republican Party has always been, not always been, but but for, you know, sort of the modern era, sort of the, the, the pro-defense, pro-military party. And here they have, mm -hmm. in Tommy Tuberville, sort of somebody that it can point to and say, see, they're not in favor of the military. So I guess my question to get to it is, do Democrats want a solution here? Or do they want it the issue? It probably works for them politically, uh, because again, look what happened after the Dobbs decision last year. That really worked to the Democrats' advantage politically. Uh, they believe it is working to their advantage going into 2024. Uh, some Republicans have commented that because Republicans seem to be, they might feel this way in their heart of hearts or morally or anything else, they might be opposed to abortion. But they understand that the politics of abortion, that isn't kind of drifting their direction right now. And that was played out in the 2022 midterms. Mm -hmm. And so they're kind of scared about this, you know, being an issue. And so Democrats are like, OK, you know, it's up to, you know, I mean, they have said Chuck Schumer and others have said, oh, it's up to the Senate minority leader, Mitch McConnell, to work this yeah. out. You know, and, well, and to be this clear, to be clear, McConnell yeah. is opposed to what Tuberville is doing. He has said, as yes, much, he is. that he does yes. not think that this is the appropriate way to lodge this protest. Right. Exactly. And, and generally, you mentioned Senator Paul. We have had many occasions over the years where somebody, you know, wants to make just a, a point 
Okay, and they, they mm-hmm. you know, complain or they hold things up for a few days and then they relent or they get something. This has now been going on for months yeah. and it doesn't have any, you know, you know, any indication it's going to wane. You know, there was a little bit of chatter and it was just that, that they might stay in during the August recess and maybe try to knock out one or two of these, you know, take three or four days just mm-hmm. to do a couple of these or something. Never happened uh, because it probably helps um than politically, the Democrats, uh, with this issue because they see the polling and how Republicans have gotten their head handed to them on the abortion issue ever since the Dobbs ruling last year. Let me finish with this. Um, At what point does this become a national security concern? And I say that because one of the big nominations coming up here, I think in the end of September, is chairman of the Joint Chiefs, right? They have to confirm... Mm -hmm. I think he retires at the end of September, right? Right, so right, yeah. Would he fall under this umbrella of Hull? Absolutely. They had the confirmation hearing earlier this year. Uh, you know, that term expires. And so, yes, th- that that's a big one. And, and that will probably laser focus people on that a little more, especially if you have, as you mentioned, Army, Marines, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs, the most senior military mm-hmm. um person in the United States. I mean, that I mean, that's a big deal. And, and, and does it affect readiness? You know, Tuberville has met with some of these military officials and they said they've all said, yes, I'll, I'm going to do a good job. And, you know, whatever happens, it'll, I, I would expect them to say that they are Marines. They are members of the yeah, army. Right. This is what they do. But the stories that have come in about families mm-hmm. and people, they don't know where, when to move because they're always being moved around in the military, mm-hmm. kids getting enrolled in schools getting enrolled in sports, special reading programs. I mean, they take a toll anyway, and this is a real toll on these families. And they talk about recruitment and readiness and people wanting to serve in the military. Uh, It has been argued that this is the type of stuff that turns people off from wanting to be in the military. Well, it's something that we'll continue to follow. I'll say this as somebody who grew up as a uh, military brat himself, uh, those sort of Weeks and, and months before you know a, a new uh, assignment is coming uh, are stressful for, for any household, and, and certainly this mm-hmm. would be adding to it. We'll see how this develops, how that pressure uh, is sort of put on Senator Tuberville and whether or not one side or the other uh, blinks or, or reaches an accord. Uh, one of those things that, that continues to kind of develop even during uh, the, this August recess. So, Chad, appreciate the time. Likewise. Good to talk with you. That will do it for this edition of the Fox News Rundown from Washington podcast. Next week, how old is too old to serve in Congress? It's a question being raised here in D.C. after some recent health scares. Chad Pergram and I will look at the numbers and the proposals out there. And as we near the first major event on the election calendar, the first GOP debate, we'll continue to talk about the race and whether any Republican can pose a serious challenge to the far and away frontrunner, former President Trump. Until then, thanks for listening. I'm Jared Halpern from Washington. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. 
from the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.